This is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast. This is VP. We are a solutions-based podcast, diving into the world of contrarian investing and alternative finance. You can find us hosted on the No Nonsense Forex YouTube channel, nonsenseforex.com, and podcast players everywhere. Episode 107 is brought to us by Bybit, and I'm telling you right now, I don't think this crackdown on exchanges in the United States is anywhere close to being over with. This administration has limited time to do as much damage as they possibly can, and they are going to do that. This is why. Staying with an exchange outside the United States is your best bet. My pick this entire time, after extensive research, which you know I do, has been Bybit. If you click the link down below in the show notes, it will take you to the blog that gives you all of the information you are going to need. And my affiliate link, if you click the affiliate link, you will not only get a sign-up bonus, but you will be eligible for all the cool stuff that Bybit has coming down the pike, specifically for my subscribers. Get in now, lock yourself in. We do not know what the future is going to hold for this entire industry, but we can certainly choose to keep ourselves out of harm's way for the time being. So click my link and join Bybit today because membership has its rewards. It is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast, and this is a very important episode, I think, because what we mostly do on here is either talk about things that I am bullish on long-term, but not so much bullish on in the short-term. We've also talked about uh, the overall landscape of certain markets and uh, certain news events that actually will have a significant impact on things going forward. You know, most news events and most things that happen on an everyday basis don't really have that much of an impact, uh, but some things do. And we have hopefully picked those out and expressed the importance of staying on top of those particular events. And that's all well and good, but in the meantime, what are we doing right now? What's the best move? Well, people who have been with this podcast since the beginning and uh, also people who have read the title of this podcast probably know the answer because I've been saying it for probably the last 12 to 15 months, give or take. And what I have been doing, at least is stacking cash, um, in particular, United States dollar, and to a lesser degree, gold. I have been buying small bags of certain things that, again, I'm not bullish on short term, but I know I could be wrong. And the upside of some of these things is so great that I'm okay with taking a loss short term just to guarantee that I'm along for the ride in some capacity when these things finally do take off. So it's there's been a couple of cryptos that I've done that with. Uh, those of you who read the blog know that I am building a small position around a copper stock currently, um, but not much really, just a few just-in-case bags. Uh, because you guys know my methodology by now, I have a lot of conviction behind my opinions and my overall outlook, uh, but I also don't believe in extreme ideology. I'm very well aware that I could be wrong, and if I am, in fact, wrong. I do not want to ride my own ideology all the way down to my financial ruin. So I cover my ass, as should you. But speaking of ass covering, cash, in particular the United States dollar, and gold to a lesser degree moving forward, is still, in my opinion, the far superior way to go. Now, I know the dollar, uh, and really fiat in particular, has not been the big winner this year over some things, uh, in particular equities, uh, but it has been the winner in most cases. And we've already spoken at length about what happens in a recession and where people's money goes. And until things completely divert from that, 
which means there would have to be a massive shift in human behavior out of nowhere. Then I would expect more of the same this time around. Now, oddly enough, in mainstream media and in alternative financial media, everybody has been chiming in about the future demise of the United States dollar and the rise of currencies in other nations. You know, we have some real United States dollar FUD out there um, for the first time in a long time. And if you haven't been paying attention to this, that's fine. We'll go over it here. Um, but one of the main stories out there right now is the BRICS nations talking about uh, possibly not only growing by a lot, but using their own currency, probably going to be a digital currency, because why not, if that's where the, the puck is going, to settle everything in, therefore completely removing themselves from the United States dollar system. So all of that money and commerce that was transacted in United States dollars will now instead be transacted in this uh, unified BRICS cryptocurrency. Uh, and then you see all these other stories about certain countries uh, deciding to settle some of their uh, debts in Chinese yuan instead of the dollar. Okay, we'll talk about all this. Uh, first off, actually, let me let me address that last part. Um, you see certain just broken down countries all of a sudden settling their debts in different currencies. Um, Argentina has been in the news lately. Uh, let me just debunk that really quick. Argentina doesn't have any United States dollars left. So if they have to settle in anything, it's going to be the currency of whatever country they're typically dealing with. I mean, in a lot of cases, it's going to be China. And so you have that. But nobody really wants to settle in Chinese yuan. And we'll talk about that in a moment, too. Let's back up a minute. Um, so do you guys know who the BRICS nations are? B-R-I-C-S. So uh, let's start with the B. That's going to be Brazil. R, Russia. I is India. And then C, of course, is China. Now, a lot of people just stop there. There is an S on the end of BRICS. Um, that stands for South Africa. So there are currently five countries, um, but a lot of countries, 19 other countries, have expressed interest in joining the BRICS, including some very heavy hitters like Saudi Arabia, uh, like Mexico. And the possibility of having all of these countries join creating their own currency and taking all of that money out of the United States dollar system is cause for concern. And the news agencies are sounding the alarm bells. Sounding the alarm bells a bit too loudly, however. I don't think much of this is grounded in reality, and I'm going to tell you why. So first of all, let's talk about investment. Now, most major companies take their profits and some of them go into cash reserves, of course, uh, but they put a lot of that to work in the hopes of generating alpha and also keeping some of that money safe because a lot of these countries have grown over time to learn to not inherently trust their own currency 100%. They need to diversify out. They need to invest. And where is the best place to invest from an upside and a downside perspective? It is by far the United States when it comes to stocks, treasuries, bonds, all of those places historically have been much better options than simply keeping most of your profits held within the fiat currency of your own country. Not even close. 
And companies know this. And to invest into these companies and to buy our treasuries and our bonds, you need to convert your fiat currency into United States dollar first. So despite what you're transacting in, whether it's yuan or rubles or whatever this BRICS cryptocurrency is going to be, okay, you have that money. Now what do you do with it? Are you going to keep it in Chinese yuan and let the Chinese, who are the worst team players in the history of the last 100 years at least, are you going to let them control it? No. Are you going to want to hold on to Brazilian real? Probably not. South African rand? God, no. Are you going to want to invest in Chinese companies or Russian companies? You know, we've already talked on this show about what a sketchy idea that is. I mean, you know, there's countries out there I like. I like Singapore. I do think India has really great potential going forward. I'm starting to warm up a bit more on the UK, but I'm not going to be putting a lot of my money over there. Maybe a little bit, but countries are aware of this too, and they know the U.S. is the place to be. And the U.S. is not going to take your BRICS cryptocurrency. You will need to convert it. Now, if you're really thinking, um, there might be a question that has come up in your mind saying, okay, well, until this BRICS cryptocurrency has been created and uh, has been proven to work and they get all the bugs out, which who knows how long something like that is going to take. Remember, this stuff has to work. Dealing in other fiat currencies actually has to work, which we don't know if it does yet. And given the track record of some of these countries, I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that whole process going very smoothly, but there's going to be a lot of trade in other fiat currencies now. And what about that? You know, if you're trading with Russia and now you have a bunch of rubles and you're going to try to convert that into dollars, that's not easy to do. You know, as individuals, at least, um, we've talked in the past about holding rubles, um, but you might end up in a Hotel California situation where you can buy them but now that you have them, you can't do a lot with it. Um, so situations like this do exist. And let me read uh, a bit of an email I got from Simon Black. He runs a company called The Sovereign Man. This is a free newsletter, so I can just read it off to you. Uh, but I love the way he drew this out. Let me get to it here. Okay. So I'm going to ad-lib a little bit, but I quote, Think about it like this. Australia currently exports around $150 billion each year to China. And right now, most of that trade takes place in United States dollars because the U.S. dollar is still the world's primary reserve currency. This means that the central banks in both China and Australia have to stockpile large amounts of U.S. dollars in order to facilitate this trade. And this is an enormous benefit to the United States economy. The rest of the world is essentially forced to invest in America. But what if China demands that all that trade with Australia is now to be denominated in yuan instead of dollars? Australia certainly wouldn't want to alienate its biggest trading partner, so they might happily agree. But what does this mean in practice? Pay attention to this. Australia makes its exports to China. Instead of receiving 150 billion US dollars, they now receive 150 billion dollars worth of Chinese yuan. What does Australia do with all that yuan? Well, there aren't too many options. China has a very closed economy with highly regulated capital controls. You can't freely move money in and out of China. 
Now, Australia does import around $70 billion from China each year. So the easiest option to pay for those Chinese imports is using their new pile of yuan, of course. But that still leaves around $80 billion worth of yuan left over. And again, since it's so difficult to invest that money in China, Australia will need to figure out something to do with it, end quote. So I'm going to go back to this email in a moment, but what do you guys think would be uh, a feasible move for Australia in this case? They've already taken the $150 billion in yuan that they've made, and then they've taken $70 billion of that to pay for Chinese goods, but now they have $80 billion left over. Remember, converting it to USD is not a great option here because that's tough to do with all that Chinese yuan. I'll keep reading. One solution is that Australia's central bank could exchange its excess yuan for gold, Gold is a traditional asset that central banks around the world have always held. They can use it to settle debts and trade accounts, or simply keep it as a reserve. End quote. So my point on this is even if uh, transferring over to United States dollars is not a great option, the secondary option is almost always going to be gold, not Bitcoin. Large, sovereign nations don't do that shit. And there may come a day, but we're very far away from that day happening. So score one for USD, score one for gold, now let's go back to USD. What all of these people squawking about the demise of the United States dollar and the rise of the BRICS nations, one thing they never ever talk about is the amount of dollars outside of the United States system, also known as euro dollars. There are more euro dollars outside of the United States than there are dollars inside the United States. And these dollars not only go for international trade, these dollars also go for international loans. Let's say you are the nation of Egypt and you want to take a loan from the country of Turkey. Are you going to want a loan in Turkish lira? Hell no. Are you going to want it in Chinese yuan? Well, no, because there's only so much you can do with it. Turkey is going to give you a loan in United States dollars. And the majority of these debts are unpaid. This kind of dovetails into the Brent Johnson dollar milkshake theory, uh, which I am very much on board with, by the way, which states if we have a, a large global economic downturn, that through these loans and through the fact that everybody still runs to the United States dollar when things get bad, it's going to suck up all of the liquidity of these other currencies. And the price of the United States dollar is going to skyrocket at the expense of all of these other currencies. Now, he has been wrong on the timing of this. He, th he thought it would have happened by now, but uh, nobody ever nails the timing anyway. The theory, I think, is very, very logical. And I understand that the United States dollar has not completely crushed it on a global scale this year. It hasn't been bad. Now, the euro USD has been up, and uh, the, the DXY is primarily made up of the euro USD, so it's going to be down from that perspective. Uh, but it's been holding okay, but none of this really matters because we are doing this not for the present, but for the future. And if the dollar milkshake theory really does play out, that is extremely bullish for the dollar. If we have any kind of global economic downturn, I also think that is extremely bullish for the dollar. And understand, with all this FUD going on right now against the United States dollar. Most of it is anecdotal. It is not grounded in reality. This just came across my desk yesterday. You want the real data? Here it is.
So Q2 just ended, um, so we don't have the data from that yet, but here is the data from Q1 of 2023. This is from the IMF, and it states the United States dollar share of global currency reserves rises slightly to 59% in Q1 versus 58.6% in Q4 of 2022. So with all of this FUD, with all of this reshuffling, with all of these threats going on, the percentage of USD in the global reserves actually went up. There's the speculation and the boogity-boo, and then there's the reality. And like I used to say on my Forex videos, you know, walk me through it. How does this actually happen? How does the United States dollar completely fall apart? And then once somebody tries to do that, they hit some very major roadblocks along the way. So, solutions time. We are a solutions-based podcast. Now, um, given everything I've just told you, and given the very, very high probability of a recession coming, uh, the only debate now at this point is, is it, do we have a soft landing or a hard landing? Almost everybody's saying hard landing. I understand you can be like ultra contrarian here if you want and say, well, everybody's saying we're going to crash, so obviously we're not. Um, I think after a certain point, you just can't deny what's about to come. And the evidence is all there. And we are also a financial prepping podcast, so we need to prepare for the worst because I don't know about you, but I did not work as hard as I have to get to this point just to lose it all to an economic downturn because I was sloppy. Regardless of where you are on the financial spectrum, you have worked hard to get there. And at the end of the day, it is not about what you earn, but what you keep. So I am continuing to do the same thing I've been doing for the last 12 to 15 months, and that is stacking United States dollars into a lesser degree gold. If this is something you are not doing, I would currently do it. If you are in a country that has one of the eight major currencies that is not the United States dollar, I think stacking fiat is a good idea, but getting access to United States dollar for diversification purposes is also crucial. And if you are in one of those countries, getting access to United States dollars should be fairly easy to do. Uh, the problem sometimes comes when you are not in one of those countries, but thankfully there are other options. We all know you can go outside of the system and get access to United States dollars on the blockchain. Thursday's blog was a revision of the stablecoin tier list that I did, I don't know when I did it, sometime last year. Again, stablecoins are not stable as actually having fiat USD, but having it outside of the system like that and having that versatility, uh, I think, overrides the risk. So I do have stablecoins, and if you want to see where I'm going, please read Thursday's blog. Now, if you absolutely prefer having United States dollars in the fiat system, in the United States banking system, go back to episode 91 of the 10-Minute Contrarian podcast, where I talked about getting a very, very cheap digital residency in the country of Palau, which has access to two American banks. Now, will you have access straight away after getting this residency? I don't know. Um, they kind of did a, a shoot first, build everything else around it approach with this ID. But Worst case scenario, you would have to start a business there, which is very cheap and would give you so much access to a lot of things that simply holding the residency card probably wouldn't. You know, they have made it very cheap and very accessible and very friendly to do things like this. Uh, but then again, getting that card is the first step. We have tried to cover all the bases here on the podcast to get you ready for the very probable scenario of a recession that could end up being a very bad one. And we have done our best to eliminate all the excuses 
that naturally come about when you advise somebody to do something out of their comfort zone. The only other thing I can uh, maybe advise, and this is not financial advice, it never is, but uh, something to do during this time is something we've also talked about on the podcast, and that is to start downsizing. Reduce your overhead. When you pay less for things, that money goes right into your bank account, and you can do whatever you like with it. I practice what I preach here as well. I live in a much cheaper country. I've gotten rid of my car. And not only has my lifestyle not gotten worse, it's gotten better. And I'm simply earning a lot more money every month simply by not having to spend it. You know, I see these horror tweets about, you know, the UK and the United States about simply what it costs to go out on a date or to get something from DoorDash. And it's horrific. I was in the States last month and I went to a grocery store and I saw the difference between my grocery store and the one I was just in. And I can only imagine this happening on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis. I mean, we're talking like multiples higher as opposed to what I pay. And this stuff compounds. Compound interest is great when it works for you, but it's terrible when it works against you. And if you cannot relocate into a cheaper location, you absolutely cannot do it. At least, speaking of compound interest working against you, get your debts down. This is the last thing you want to have hanging over your head during a large economic downturn. And as we always say here, make sure your money is spread out so you can reduce that liability as well. Now, most average people are going to think all of this financial prepping is crazy because they have never known, especially in the West, never known a time where it hasn't just always been okay. And you know what? In the end, they might be right. But that doesn't give me any peace of mind whatsoever because I think there is a much, much higher than average chance that it's not going to be okay. And I am completely okay with being crazy, as long as it means that in the end, I was early.